From an eight-foot-tall Moses to a three-foot Frogman, the character of Yoda has gone through countless designs and iterations. In today's episode, we look back at the development and production of one of the most iconic characters in Star Wars history. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to our Sky Talkers summer series where, beyond all disbelief, we are talking <laughs> about Yoda for three whole episodes. Can you believe it? Can no. you believe? What's, what no one is also ever going to believe, but I tell you it's the truth, is that this was actually my idea. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in their headphones is like, she's lying. She's lying. <laughs> but it's true. It really was my idea somehow. I don't – it just like – Charlotte and I were talking about it, and we could not think of a summer series topic, theme, plan at all. And we were like, what if we're just not going to have one? Like, is that okay? And then I was like, Yoda. Yoda. Well, come on. It started with the fact that we wanted to talk about yeah. the Yoda arc in Clone mm-hmm. Wars, and it was yeah. like, how are we going to format that? And then it, it really became a, wow, we really need to discuss Yoda at length and his contribution to the Star Wars saga as a whole, like from history to thematically to even just those episodes that I feel like are so important, especially mm-hmm. as we move forward in the sequel trilogy. So I don't know. It's I think it's really funny that you wanted to do it. When you said it, I was like, wow, yes. <laughs> yeah, but, before she changes her mind, let's go. I've mean, already got the Google Doc started. <laughs> yeah, literally. I just – I think that – like, can we, like, discuss why we like to – this is now our third summer series, which is kind of crazy. Like, why do we really like to do these summer series? Like, can we break down why we like to do them? We're going to break down our own themes. Um, yeah, you know. This is <laughs> that's oh, how we no. operate here. <laughs> Meta. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's funny because the, our very first year, I don't, I don't even think we called it a summer series. It was just, like, a set – topic, which was our Sky Talkers Machete series, um, where we went through everything. And we started that in, I think, June or July. And then that actually went through like a couple of months mm-hmm. um, because it took a while to get through and, and other episodes came up beforehand. But then last year we did our By George series, which I don't know, that was just like really fun to have like this set time in the summer. We were like, this is what we're focusing on. This is what we're intently looking on for more than one episode. And I don't know, it's just... It's like us, but like a little bit on steroids. <laughs> it's What's funny is that it takes our three-part format and makes it three whole episodes with three-part formats. Yeah. So it's, it's really like the nine-part saga <laughs> in this weird way. <laughs> what's funny is that's what we did um, for The Last Jedi as well. Do you remember mm-hmm. after that came out we, when we did like so many f- episodes on The Last Jedi? Like, good lord. We did. I remember to getting to the last one, and we we're like, "All right, like we gotta stop talking about the last." Jedi. What did we do? We did. No, we did. Can we just break this down? We did. Yeah, we did our initial immediate, re- yeah, immediate reaction. Mm-hmm. Then we did week one reaction. God, week one reaction. Then we did uh, week three, the third episode, which was all about uh, the story and then mm-hmm. a whole episode on story and then another episode that was all about character and then another episode that was all about, um, 
Q&A. It was a question and answer. Yeah. Q&A, yeah. And then we did um, the Last Jedi novelization. And then we did the Last Jedi DVD. It's mm-hmm. seven. <laughs> oh my God. And that was like in the first half of the year. It's that just kind was, of absurd. <laughs> it, was, it was so much. I, I feel like right now I could re-record those though. Is that not oh, crazy? Like I'm like, no, oh. 100%. Like- <laughs> I definitely could. But I think, I think I remember like when we got to – because I, I remember listening – like when we were recording The Last Jedi novelization because that came out in March and we were like – at first we were like, oh, man, that's like so far away from like The Last Jedi movie. Like so sad. And then we thought about it and we're like there was actually like no weeks left for us to talk about The Last Jedi novelization because we were too busy talking about The Last Jedi movie and like mm-hmm. we needed to, I don't know, like come up for air from from The Last Jedi. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. I haven't done that since I know. 2017. <laughs> so – it's just it's so good (laughs) just so good anyway we're not here to talk about the last jedi i just think (laughs) it's i don't know i'm really happy that we've decided to do this so Mm -hmm. before we start though i kind of want to go and say and ask really where do we stand on a scale of one to ten ten being like fully obsessed with yoda and one being kind of non-caring about the character at all what about you? Let's start with you because I think it's just maybe everyone knows. <laughs> What's funny is um, actually there's nothing really that funny about it. It's just <laughs> – so my dislike of Yoda stems from the very first time I saw Star Wars with you, Charlotte, as you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had watched The Phantom Menace and we had watched um, Attack of the Clones and in between this time – we were well, – I had started watching um, fan videos, um, like music fan videos on YouTube, basically spoil, spoiling all of Revenge of the Sith for myself, um, even though, like, it already came out. And I just kept seeing this Mustafar battle, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I am so freaking obsessed with this. I cannot wait to see this movie. So then we get to Mustafar, and it keeps getting – like, this whole sequence is, like, chopped up by Yoda and Palpatine just, like, cackling and flipping over each other in the Senate. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, why are we not on Mustafar? <laughs> I just I, – it's kind of like how I experienced The Last Jedi the second time I saw it when I, like – almost to a point like didn't want to watch the rest of the movie because I just wanted to get to the throne room scene and I didn't want anything else to interrupt the throne room scene for me when I was watching The Last Jedi. That's kind of how I felt about Mustafar. And Yoda just like kept popping up and I was like, oh my God, no. (laughs) (laughs) And that's honestly like the super petty 13-year-old reason why this annoyance, I suppose you could call it, started with Yoda. Um, And then I think one of the weird things about being someone who watched the Star Wars from one to six after they had already come out is that going from Revenge of the – and we'll talk about this um, further on in our other episodes. But going from Revenge of the Sith Yoda to Empire Strikes Back Yoda is such a jump. And I remember watching it and thinking like, whoa, like this is – like <laughs> there is so much I have missed. There is so much I don't know. Like I was like, Charlotte, are you sure there is no other Yoda? <laughs> like. And I think I remember just thinking, what has happened to him in the interim to go from Avenge of the Sith to Empire Strikes Back? It's a really big jump. (laughs) And when you don't have any kind of childhood 
relationship to that character, either through the prequels or through the original trilogy, it, it really is quite jarring. And I still think it's really jarring. But as really once we started watching Skytalker's Machete, I feel like it's been a hot second since we've exalted the Machete series for mm-hmm. the genius that it is. But this used to be like the running theme on Skytalker's was Machete Order is the way to go. And it really is. And honestly, Machete Order is something that even for me, really changed my view and appreciation for the prequel trilogy. And it did that for Yoda, for the character of Yoda as well, which we'll talk about. Um, But I think now where I stand with Yoda, I honestly think I'm at like like a five. I think I'm like Mm -hmm. middle – five to six, honestly. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Like I understand his place in the story and I understand what he represents as far as the tragedy of the Jedi Order, of the – for second trilogy as a whole. I feel like I understand his character now – so much more and I appreciate his character a lot more now, but he's probably never going to be my favorite. Okay. So the exciting thing about this is that after we do the series, we will check back in with you. And I just want to say for anyone that listened to that and was like, oh my God, Caitlin's so negative about Yoda. That will not be the impetus of our series at all. Like at all. Oh, we're no, not, no, 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 not at all. We're, that's not what we're bringing into here. I would say in terms of caring about Yoda, I'm at like a six or a seven. Seven is generous given I understand his impact to Star Wars, and I think he's truly one of the most iconic characters of all time. But I'm with you. He's never going to be my favorite. But I think that's okay. And I was overjoyed and excited to see him in The Last Jedi when he came back. And I think that's kind of what's important for my understanding of how I feel about Yoda. I I was really overjoyed to see him. All right. Let's backtrack a little bit because you and I were both – as soon as we saw a glow in The Last Jedi in that scene, we were like, it's Anakin. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. So, to say that we weren't a little disappointed when it was Yoda is a bit of a stretch. When it was just Yoda. Yes. Yeah, when it was just Yoda. Um, yeah, no, I like Charlotte said, I just want to make clear, this is not going to be a whole like three hours over the next month of me just being like, I hate Yoda because that's not true. Um, I actually think it's really interesting to do like a deep dive on this. with a a character or a story that you're not completely enthralled in Mm -hmm. or obsessed with. Because as you guys know, we like Kylo and Rey. Um, (laughs) And sometimes uh, Charlotte and I talk a lot about how that might color our analysis of those characters because we do have such like an emotional tie to them. Whereas with a character like Yoda, I don't have that same kind of emotional tie. And I feel like I can be a little bit more analytical and unbiased and – and also, I'm not 13 years old anymore and just, like, annoyed that he's taking away from my Anakin and Obi-Wan duel. <laughs> like, yeah. I understand, like, what he's doing in this story. And, um, yeah, I just – yeah, it's not going to be, like, three hours of me just talking about how I don't like Yoda because I do actually like and enjoy his character now. Um, but just in a different way and not as much as Kylo, Luke, and Ray, which no one is surprised. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's, like – the reason why I'm not at a 10 is because I do think there's like some annoying moments where I feel like he just didn't step up to the plate. <laughs> and I feel like that's the whole – like that's the point though yeah, about like exactly. the great and powerful Yoda essentially like missing the whole – like the the tragedy of the prequels is that um, and some obviously. But I feel like I I really do genuinely I'm, – I, I'm, I have a fascination which is why we're doing this series about – the creation of Yoda and then the way his character evolves and like, I don't know. I think that the way he was explored in Clone Wars is really, really interesting. And that's what probably I'm most excited to get to. 
I'm really excited to start talking about his actual character and really kind of digging in more to that big jump we see in in his character between episodes three and five and um, then how that whole idea is kind of backtracked when we get into Clone Wars and then how it's changed when we have other things like Dooku Jedi Lost or like other books and things that explore his character. I think he's a really interesting person to kind of look at both within the lens of like the creation of the physical character of Yoda, like as the puppet, which we'll talk about and computer, like where he stands in the practical side of Star Wars, but then also where he stands in the story side, because he, he goes through like all these different time periods and iterations and like developments and like with a lot of characters in Star Wars, but especially with Yoda, we're constantly kind of, it feels like we're constantly going back and forth in his timeline. And so Mm -hmm. that's really interesting. I think from a development um, standpoint as far as like the writers and things when they're dealing with him. Yeah. So this episode, we're generally going to be talking about the creation of Yoda, like the physical, mm-hmm. physical creation of Yoda and um, like kind of the Yoda history generally. And in the next episode, we'll talk about his role in the films. And then the last episode, we will talk about, like Caitlin mentioned, kind of the forcey mystical stuff. And generally, we'll be talking about the Clone Wars arc, the Yoda arc that's in The Lost Missions, which Mm -hmm. I am so excited to get to. But I think that we should dive into the parts for this episode. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the early drafts of Yoda. In part two, we're going to be talking about the practical development of Yoda, so the puppet of him, basically. And in part three, we're going to be talking about digital Yoda. So without further ado, let's get started. Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. Okay, so welcome to part one where we're going to be discussing the early drafts. So I think we should guide with the question in this part with how did his character come to be? And what was George Lucas and Irvin Kirshner thinking about when they began basically, and honestly, Leah Brackett, um, developing this character? So I think like in my research, I did a I consulted a lot of sources, um, but unfortunately I couldn't consult the... Uh, the J.W. Rinsler book. And I have that at home in my parents' house, not here in Boston with me. And I wish I had that, but I don't have that. So everything else came from the annotated screenplays, um, the Power of Myth book that I mentioned in a previous episode about, it's a very old book from like 1999, but it's really interesting. And um, also like some Ralph McQuarrie artwork and everything like that. So the guiding question I think really is, I already mentioned that. So, you know, what were his origins in the story development? And I think that we can start here by the fact that he was originally called Minch Yoda, not just Yoda. It was Minch Yoda, which I think, like, I couldn't really find any sort of, like, etymology behind the word Minch. But I think that for me, it's – if if I if Yoda's name was Minch Yoda, I would believe it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, doesn't it sound like that would be his first name? It sounds very fantasy. Um, yes. It sounds, um, and, and I have not read Lord of the Rings before, but it sounds like something from Lord of the Rings. I agree. And I think that that's – I'm glad that you brought up the Lord of the Rings because I think that when you talk about Yoda, I think it's easy to talk about 
like the puppets, which we will talk about. But I do think his origins were kind of in this idea of an elf or like a mystical creature similar to something that you might find in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And I think that like perhaps not originally because I think um, – there's this quote here on by Irvin Kirshner. If you want to read it, I think it's pretty interesting from the annotated screenplays. Caitlin, would you read that? Mm-hmm. So his quote, At first I thought Yoda should be eight feet, nine feet tall with a beard, like an oversized Moses, because after all, he's a Zen master. He's almost godlike. But that was too much of a cliche. At one point, we thought of using a monkey to play Yoda. We would have animated his lips later, like in the movie Babe, but that didn't work. Then we started looking for a face. What does he look like? And then we thought, well, he's amphibious. He can live underwater. Is he on a, he's on a wet planet. Therefore, his skin is not affected by water. He's like a lizard. But we couldn't get a good image of the head. And Stuart Freeborn, the makeup man, who was also a part, sort of an engineer and made props, said, I think I can make the face. So he went away and came back a few weeks later. And here was this head draped with cloth. We sat there and he said, now I'll show you what Yoda could look like. And he pulled the cover off and I thought it was a joke because it looked exactly like him. He was very small, had a large head, a round face. It was a self-portrait. In regard to Yoda's clothes, I wanted him to wear something that looked homemade, but none of the fabrics we selected looked right. I just think this is so interesting because first off, before we get to the actual development of the puppet and Stuart Freeborn's like self-portrait, I think that that's a kind of a common story that's good gets thrown around in the development of Yoda. I think that it's really weird that they wanted Yoda to be a nine feet tall like Moses. giant and like a, a giant Moses. Really interesting to me. But I do think that the term Minch or Minch Yoda does harken back to the fairy tale-esque ideas of, I don't know, of creating like an elf man, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think the the use of the word Moses really stood out to me as like a descriptor from Irving Kirshner. Number one, I love when they go through these, like this is how we started and this is how we got to where we were. I think that's mm-hmm. so interesting. We see a lot of that in, I think, the second trilogy where they're dealing with like concept arts and art and things like that. Um, but I love seeing it here too. I, I just think it's interesting seeing the developmental process and like the way that they describe things in order to get to an image of something new that they all agree on like ah yes that should be Yoda (laughs) Um, but I think Moses is such an interesting descriptor for when they were trying to talk about him because Moses you know in in the Bible in the Old Testament is biblical and he is the keeper of the Ten Commandments and he goes up on the mountain and receives word from God and then comes down with the tablets Um, but he's he's like the keeper of knowledge and of commandments um, which kind of makes sense with what we see of Yoda as kind of the Jedi master, it kind of makes sense. Um, and I don't know. I just I, – I thought that was a really interesting – I think it gives you insight into how they were talking about what kind of knowledge and character and authority Yoda should have by likening him to the biblical figure of Moses. Anytime I read about the development of Yoda and talking about what he represents with the Force and everything, I just wish so much that I could be a fly on the wall of those conversations because to understand the impact that a character like Yoda would have on the future of Star Wars, to me, like I think that the Force wasn't fully defined until we saw Yoda use it and lift that X-Wing out of the water. And just to be a fly on the wall in the conversations of like what this character would represent I, I don't know. I just I, – I kind of get emotional when I think about it. I wish that I could be there. Mm-hmm. I, I – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. 
I just think, like, if we could go back even to the beginning about Yoda kind of answers this problem that George himself created. Um, and I think it's a problem a lot of sequels have in Yoda exists because Ben Kenobi died. And, <laughs> and like, I don't think that they could get Alec Guinness back for more than a ghost feature. <laughs> and I think, it, I think that that's like, that's a physical problem. You know what I mean? And I think that George was like, okay, we need someone different from like the old man figure. And how can we kind of formulate that so that it, kind of is ingrained in the mythic nature of this fairy tale that we're weaving. And um, there's this quote from Laurent Bozereau who wrote the annotated screenplays or compiled the annotated screenplays. Um, And here it is. The idea of using another person, perhaps an alien, for Luke to play off of came up during a story meeting. George Lucas and Leah Brackett had thought that the alien could be an Indian desert type, very childlike, and even though he's an old man. He at first should be repulsive and slimy, but then should become kind and wise. He appears as a crazy little nitwit that goes around scurrying like a rat, but ultimately teaches Luke a great deal about the Force. I had to include that because <laughs> <laughs> he appears as a crazy little nitwit. <laughs> it's just like, okay. He does. <laughs> I know. It's so funny because I think – if we we will talk about this, I suppose, in the next episode, but like thematically, it's really interesting to as a completed piece, like you watching Star Wars for the first time from the prequels. I think that it plays a little differently um, of like how you see Yoda mm-hmm. than it, perhaps they were originally intending. Like now it pr- plays off as crazy because he went crazy, not crazy because he's hiding his wisdom. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that'll be really interesting to talk more about yeah. um, in that episode. The one thing I find really cool about Yoda's development is how much of it is a product of the fact that they had already kind of designed Dagobah or knew mm-hmm. like what kind of climate Dagobah was going to be. And you kind of see this in the quotes as they're going through like, oh, well, you know, it's a water planet. So like he's got to repel water. So his skin mm-hmm. is going to look like this. And, you know, he is slimy, but he's wise. And, you know, we tend to think of slimy creatures like in the water and in swamps and things like that. And and even like what Irving Kirshner is talking about with his clothes, like they has to look handmade, like he's not in any kind of city or something like that. Um, it has to look like something rough and like hand woven and things like that. Um, and, and it makes you wonder how his character would have looked different if he had been from Tatooine or, you know, from, um, you know, crate or something like that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I think absolutely. I think the Yoda development came so close to the wire. Like they hadn't decided what Yoda was going to look like right before they went to Norway to shoot the Hoth scenes. Like they were like, we don't know what he's going to look like. We have no idea. And I think that's why George, when he saw that um, sculpture from Stuart Freeborn was like, yes, that's it. I almost think that it was like, oh my God, we're getting so close to the wire. I guess I have to make a decision. And I think Mm -hmm. obviously Yoda's iconic. He works (laughs) and everything. But I do think that that was kind of part of it. Um, They just really could not get him right. That he passed off through many, many artists. And I think that Ralph McQuarrie, which is like, of course, Ralph McQuarrie, like created something that drew something that looks pretty similar to what we imagine Yoda is now. But he went through so many different iterations. But I do think it's really interesting that you mention the surroundings. And I think you're right. Like, they had that planned. But when we consult that book, that I that random book, it's such a random book, The Power of Myth, 
Star Wars, The Power of Myth. I think it talks a little bit. It's for children. I just think it's so great. (laughs) Um, It talks about how in myth, one of the trials of the hero is to leave the world behind and go alone into a forest full of danger and sorcery. So I think that like, if you think about the fairy tale nature, I think, of course, Yoda is going to look like that. I And I really like this line, and perhaps we can discuss it. Um, it says, the forest is also a symbol for the unconscious mind, which is full of dark and hidden emotions. I think that we see that on Dagobah in general, especially when Luke enters the cave. But I do like the idea of Yoda perhaps embodying the unconscious mind or like potentially embodying the force in this weird way of being like some weird otherworldly like organic matter and i think that's exactly what the force is in my opinion do you know mm-hmm. what i mean does that make sense yeah. yeah i think it's kind of i i'm sure when george and and Irvin Kershner and the other creators were kind of working through what dagobah was what was going on there what it meant for luke and then you're kind of threading in all of these things that you want this, you know, mentor character to be doing. And like you said, like the the Force and Yoda kind of going in and out, like you understand it, you don't, it's there, it's not. I think that's the – that goes really well with how Yo, uh, how Dagobah is depicted itself. Like you're never really sure where the ground is. <laughs> There's um, – is something living? Is it dead? Is there a snake in your X-wing? Who knows? The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, there's a snake in your X-wing. Um, but also just – I think I can almost picture George sitting there like – talking about and he's like at any moment like Yoda can appear and then you turn around and he's gone and it's like has he disappeared or as has he just like blended into the surroundings um they all have to look like they go together and there is this mysticism to it which I think is obvious because this is where Luke has a lot of his force revelations and where he does a lot of his force training and I don't know I can really see both of both Yoda and Dagobah being developed kind of at the same time, like you were talking about, while also talking about the Force. Because you can almost see Luke like, well, or George going like, well, Luke is going to this place and he's going to have like a moment. He's going to get more training. He's going to, you know, some ish is going to happen. It's going to be a little scary. He's going to learn more about the Force. Okay, what does that look like? Okay, well, I want it to be mystical. Forests are kind of mystical. Okay, well, he's got to have a mentor there. What's the mentor look like? A little bit creepy. (laughs) Like a little (laughs) bit, you know, like, oh, where'd he come from? You know, and kind of threading all of these things in at the same time for the kind of tone that he wanted and the where he wanted Luke's story to go and all these other these other elements like the planet and Yoda kind of supporting that, you know? Totally. I think that if you look at this, like a couple of Ralph McQuarrie pieces of artwork, you get all these like crazy, insane looking trees with like really intense roots and then Yoda's hut among it. And in that Power of Myth book, it says Dagobah is covered with immense gnarled trees. Many cultures hold trees sacred and believe them to have a certain magical energy and power. And then it goes on to talk about tree spirits. In ancient Europe, druids worshipped the Celtic gods beneath holy oaks. Evil spirits were believed to roam the groves after sunset, and many were terrified to enter. I just think it's really interesting to like draw on this. Perhaps it was subconscious, but most likely it's not. This idea of what <laughs> if Yoda could manifest as like a tree spirit, if you can think about him <laughs> that way. Like I think that you see him immediately and you're not 100% trusting of his character. And I think that that's also really interesting to think about his development just as as what you said before. Mm-hmm. 
I would love to talk to people who saw Empire Strikes Back when it first came out. I mean, obviously, I've talked to people who have seen <laughs> but I mean, like, specifically about – because we, we talk a lot with Empire Strikes Back about people's um, – whether or not they thought Vader was lying, you know, mm-hmm. at the end and kind of what people's first impressions were of Yoda. Did you did you suspect that he was – you know, he had more – he knew more than he was letting on or was it a surprise? It was like, oh, this is, this is Yoda. Like, this is the Jedi Master if you had the same reaction as Luke um, and if George kind of succeeded in, in – surprising you on that front i'm going to guess that kids were surprised i remember watching Mm -hmm. this for the first time for me and i was surprised i was like what but i (laughs) it's i don't know i was really young though so maybe i didn't know maybe i was just like oh that's yoda weird not like (laughs) oh my god who is yoda it was more (laughs) like i can't believe yoda's manifesting as this kind of crazy guy Um, (laughs) I I don't know. I think that it's also kind of prudent to mention the fact that Yoda's size is actually explicitly refer- referenced in the script and in the film. And like it, I think thematically it it means something that Yoda is small and embodies this great warrior and I think that the purpose is for Luke to obviously like, I feel like this is like the most obvious message is like, don't judge a book by its cover Mm -hmm. um, for Yoda and like the most powerful individual or the most like wise individual, someone who's been, you know, alive for literally centuries is you can't judge someone based off of their appearance. And it's like the oldest to me, oldest like trick in the book to pull that in any (laughs) sort of fairy tale and any sort of story And I don't know, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's kind of funny because we always discuss how George, you know, subverted expectations with Jake Lloyd as Anakin and how he just kind of does this. Honestly, we should just expect it at this point, you know, from George's stories because he does it so on the nose. It's like, oh, you think that a great Jedi master will look something like Ben Kenobi did or or talk the same way that Ben Kenobi did, have a lightsaber like he did. And then, you know, George does the complete opposite, you know, Mm -hmm. like a tiny alien who appears in insane when you first meet him and then you know with vader it's like oh the 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 scariest villain in the world oh yeah like here's a child (laughs) you know just takes it to the extreme which i think is is kind of interesting Uh, as we keep talking about yoda and we'll discuss this in the future episodes i'm sure or at least i definitely will um but you know how they took yoda from how they started off making him literally larger than life and then brought him all the way down to the small size he is now as, again, like you said, a way of saying, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. (laughs) There are only small actors, no small roles, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. But then when you compare Yoda to someone like the Bendu that we see later on, which is actually larger than life um, and does kind of have that – I don't know, that deep voice that I feel like I would probably describe as a Moses-like voice and like that knowledge too. Um, I don't know. I just think it's it's interesting. We'll talk about that more with like the force side of Yoda, but kind of how ideas are always recycled and reused in different ways in Star Wars as well. You know, going from the the tiny Jedi master to then the larger than life element of the force the bendu Mm -hmm. i don't know and it's like oh yeah remember like how yoda was going to be like eight feet tall well what if we made him like an eight foot tall mammoth (laughs) yeah well it's funny because you say eight feet like that's really tall but then you think about chewbacca and it's like 
okay, well, in the first movie, we bought that Chewbacca is a great pilot or a great co-pilot with Han Solo. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's funny to me because I bet that that, what I literally just said now has came up in the conversation where it was like, no, we can't go Mm -hmm. that extreme. We have to go the other way. And they had several... I feel like they had several actors and um, they were going to have a child in a suit. They were going to have, they had deep Roy at one point and like there were, there, we'll talk about like the mechanics behind developing Yoda as well. But I do think that there was like so much that went into, how is this even going to work? <laughs> and, and not, not just like physically, but also like, will this play the right way against Luke that we want mm. Like that Luke's story in the original trilogy is the most important and what will Yoda bring to it and we have mm-hmm. to make sure that that works in his own hero's journey and yeah. I think that I think it's it's interesting also because to me Yoda is like a left turn away from everything samurai and you can look at basically everything from a new hope and like what the jedi even look like and everything and i feel like yoda doesn't necessarily oh you know i say that now but then again he kind of looks like an kind of an old man in this weird way so maybe maybe i'm wrong about that but i don't think that he to me on the surface represents like a samurai warrior that you'd expect from the jedi or like what you what george really was pulling from from akira kurosawa and everything like that Mm-hmm. Um, I think that sure he looks like an an old senpai, but like I think that he, I don't know, I I just I think that he looks way more fairy tale than on the other end. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean the fact that you don't he do, you don't see him with a lightsaber at all is a big piece of that too. Where he he looked yeah. like he could belong to that world of warriors, but he doesn't act like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when you're talking about you know how is Yoda working for Luke's development that they had kind of mapped out in this film you know if you imagine if Yoda had been this giant basically who just appeared in the middle of the woods with Luke I mean the kind of reaction that Luke would have had to that versus Yoda whereas Luke is like totally thinks he has the upper hand here because he did judge Yoda by his size and then Yoda Mm -hmm. gets to basically one-up him and be like well Mm -hmm. you're super wrong and I'm the Jedi master (laughs) whereas if you know this you know, giant Paul Bunyan kind of Yoda had appeared out of the trees, Luke would have been so freaked out, you know? Mm -hmm. It would have been a completely different reaction and a completely different start of – to their relationship. Um, Whereas how we have it now, Luke had this air of superiority around Yoda. And then, again, because it's the darker middle chapter, you got to knock your hero down a couple pegs. And this Mm -hmm. was just one of those pegs being knocked down. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, I just I find it all fascinating. I feel like I could look at Yoda concept art forever because it's so yeah. mystical, it's so different. And even just looking at like what we were going to use for our images to promote the show, I was like, wow, this is like a treasure trove of mm-hmm. concepts that I've actually seen reflected in shows like Rebels and everything. And I'm like, I just uh, the concept art is just so good because it goes in so many different places. Yeah, the um the one we use for Twitter when we announced the series, I am um, a little obsessed with like I might make it my phone background you should <laughs> just, just for think, this, this month <laughs> right um I just think it's so fun like I don't know it just I think it evokes everything that they wanted to get across 
with Yoda mm-hmm. as a character. Um, this is just a fun little side note about our show notes, but Charlotte highlighted everything in green that we like need to point out, which I think is funny because she was texting me about it and she was like, yes, yeah, like our questions and like the quotes I want to make sure we hit. Like I highlighted those in green. And then a couple of minutes later, she goes, I didn't actually do that intentionally, but it's green. <laughs> <laughs> So good. <laughs> I think it's funny because we – our Google Docs are always in the font Proxima because Lady Proxima. Lady Proxima. <laughs> and then I just I, – I would have thought that you would have actually highlighted everything in green. Um, but you're like, that was actually just an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I just like highlighting things in green. But it works really well and it actually makes me really happy. So <laughs> do we have anything else to say about the early drafts of Yoda? I don't think so because I think we're we're getting into like character territory and we got to we yeah. gotta rein ourselves in. And like development of their puppet. So we got to get into that. Yeah. So let's dive into part two. Size matters not. Look at me. Does me by my size do you? Hmm? Hmm. And where you should not. For my ally is the force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yes, even between. Land and the ship. Okay, welcome to part two where we're going to be talking a little bit more about the actual physical development and use of Yoda um, throughout the original trilogy and then um, also in The Phantom Menace a little bit and then also in the sequel trilogy. So, <laughs> so practical Yoda. So pra- we're going to be talking about practical effects, guys. <laughs> um, Real so- sets, practical effects. God. I just imagine... You guys know that I don't like the term practical effects because of the insinuation, the implication behind it, not the actual effects <laughs> itself, the implication The international it. implications the international. behind using that term <laughs> in 2019. <laughs> Man, when I fixate on something, I really fixate on something. Uh, mm-hmm. And that and that bird, you know, that steelpecker bird in the, the Force Awakens teaser, just imagine if that had been Yoda. <laughs> We would have never been able to do this series. <laughs> um, anyway. But Yoda wasn't in The Force Awakens. Anyway, but we are going to be talking about practical effects. and well, just like, well, well, back it up. Okay. kind of was because in Ray's Force Back, you hear his voice. Yeah, I know. But if, like, imagine if, because the, the Steelpecker bird bothers me because of its association with JJ going, real sets, practical effects. And you see the Steelpecker bird and you're like, I get it. You're, you were really there, bird. Like, I got you. Um, but if they had had Yoda there, as JJ said, real sets, practical effects, and it was just Yoda, th- like, that association would have just compounded my annoyance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> but the puppet itself was actually super innovative and the way that they used it throughout um, the Dagobah scenes in particular. And I think that's we spend so much time in behind the scenes of Empire Strikes Back with Mark Hamill being like, I was the only one on the call set for days. <laughs> and him having like the radio in his ear of Frank Oz. And there were like so many elements that went into making sure that Yoda worked and was believable. 
that it's actually quite incredible um, just how beloved that character is, um, which I think is is amazing. And it kind of makes you think about what if he hadn't worked? <laughs> um, what if you? What if as the audience you didn't buy what was going on on screen? It's crazy because Yoda occupies basically the entire middle of Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. and is crucial to our main character's journey. And if he didn't work, I think it honestly might have been the end of Star Wars because it was like kind of everything was riding on that. And I'm sure... I don't know. I just, it's so fascinating to even consider like if Yoda didn't work, if we didn't buy that Yoda was a great master, that he would impart the knowledge of the force, then not only does Yoda as a character crumble, but Luke's like understanding of what the force is and how that empowers him as a hero, I think actually crumbles too. But of course that didn't happen. And I think in general, we do take for granted about how groundbreaking that was. And especially because of, Yoda's transformation into digital, which we'll talk about later. I think that often it's like, oh, digital's better, and often, honestly, it is better because you can you have more articulation and more facial features. But I think that it's it's hard to in twenty nineteen grasp how (laughs) important it was for Yoda to be right. So I think that we can start talking about like we mentioned. about how it was kind of problematic, about how they didn't really know what Yoda was going to even look like and how Stuart Freeborn was kind of like, here's my self-portrait. And they were like, all right, here you go. Because <laughs> you're like <laughs> okay. kind of an old looking man and that works. But I think from the puppet perspective, and I'm no, Caitlin and I are no experts in puppets and um, in that world at all. But I think that I, <laughs> we really aren't. <laughs> Believe it or not, we are no puppetry experts. We aren't. I, I and it's, it's funny how you kind of said that. Like, there are people out there who could think we're puppetry experts. And, like, true, that's true. the last thing I could ever see myself being an expert in. You just said it no chill- so nonchalantly. Like, well, we're not. I totally actually can, can see myself being an expert in puppetry okay. and, like, love it. Not an expert in puppetry itself, but, like, being obsessed with puppets in the same way that, like, I'm obsessed with Disney and animatronics. I can totally see myself being obsessed with the Muppets in that way. And I never really fell down that rabbit hole, even though I've been very close sometimes you have that's true you have been really yeah. close to the muppet rabbit hole like you're all yeah. you're like ray about to be pulled in in the last jedi you're just standing on the precipice forever on the pre- precipice of a muppet full-blown obsession hole. it's so true though it's, it's actually really <laughs> true I think um and that being said like atlanta has a great center for puppetry arts which i know I we went like there all the time all as the kids. time on field trips yeah yeah so, you know what Sky Talkers could be the next puppetry expert podcast. <laughs> okay, I have like some fun facts that I'm gonna throw. Okay. <laughs> All right. First fun fact is I actually saw, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, so I'm sorry if you've heard this before. When my family went to Rome when I was like 13, we stayed in a hotel and my dad had access because he travels all the time to this lounge. And in the lounge, I saw Frank Oz, but I was way too nervous to approach him. I was 13. I was still kind of like, I was super obsessed with Star Wars, but I was kind of like, what am I even going to say to Frank Oz? Whatever. So I didn't approach him, but I did see him at a meeting at the lounge. It was like, it looked like a very important meeting. It was on like this like pergola in Rome. Okay, so the second part of the story is if we're talking about Frank Oz, 
and we're talking about Muppets and everything, then here's my story about Jim Henson. So when my mom turned 21 and she was living in London for a study abroad, on her 21st birthday, an entire group of people were waiting for her at a surprise party at a different location from the pub that she was at. And Jim Henson was at the pub that she was at and bought her and her friends like a whole round of drinks at the pub and prevented her and made her miss her entire surprise party. But it was because Jim Henson was there. So that's Your the story. Your mom has like <laughs> the craziest luck of anyone I've I ever I know. Met. It's insane. Like, she, like we'll, we'll just be driving somewhere like growing up and she'd be like, oh, yeah, like Jim Henson bought me drinks for my 21st birthday. And we're both like – what? <laughs> yeah, she missed her surprise party because she was out drinking with Jim Henson. Like, excuse me? <laughs> when is that? <laughs> I've lived now for what, like 15 years of your mother's stories and they always <laughs> they always just surprise me. Like, you're it's funny cuz your mom is kind of like Han Solo, the way that we talk about like episodic of Han Solo. Like, you never really know everything that he's done, but there's always true. like a fun story and it's always true. Too. <laughs> Your mom just always has these things that she just has, like, happened to her that are really cool. And she's like, oh, yeah, that did happen. And you're like, whoa. (laughs) It was like – my mom always talks about how it was, like, during Fraggle Rock and everything. And everyone was, like, really obsessed with Fraggle Rock. Whatever. Um, I just think it's always interesting. And if we just – if you're discussing me being on the cusp of being obsessed with the Muppets, that always comes back into my head. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Frank Oz and Jim Henson, you know, thick as thieves – tight, if you will. And (laughs) um, I think that when you talk about Yoda, you obviously talk about Frank Oz as he was the voice, but it's really interesting to think about the fact that he wasn't always going to be the voice. And up until I think like it might have been like March or April before the movie came out, George was still auditioning people for that voice role. And Frank was like, you know, I'm still here. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we just haven't really discussed if I'm doing the voice or if someone else is doing the like what's happening here, you know. I think it's so, so funny. It's it's very similar to David Prowse and, and James Earl Jones. That totally. Kind of story. But unfortunately, David Prowse was not the voice. <laughs> but yeah. Frank God's got to keep it. Yeah, I think, again, like backing up, I just went on a full blown like Frank Oz, Jim Henson um, rant, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention a woman who helped bring Yoda to life, which I think is, I didn't know about until I was listening to Blast Points, who it's just such a great podcast, can't recommend Blast Points enough. But I was listening to an older episode of Blast Points where they talk about the Yoda puppet and they really helped illuminate some things for me. So thank you guys. And they mentioned Wendy Midner, who really was like, the the link to helping and making sure that the puppet had was able to like emote and have expressions and the eyes worked and everything like that and she even operated yoda sometimes with like the poles and to me it's just like gene bolte for me or like gene bolte in um the phantom menace was like the lead animator if i'm correct about that or the lead she developed the motion capture technology like the I'm I'm butchering this, but I had no idea who she was, and I feel the same way about Wendy Minner now. And I'm so happy that we have this podcast that I can like explore that and learn that. Um, anyway, I, I it's really crucial that like to discuss the entire team that helped bring Yoda together because I think that there's it's easy to look at a movie and be like that doesn't work or that works for me in terms of Yoda's puppeteering and his capture on screen but if you really think about all the different pieces that go into it like 
the movement of Yoda's ears or whether his eyes work. Are his eyes crossed? Like, what about his upper lip? Like, it's it's so crazy to me how all these movements that we do as human beings have to be expressed in a puppet, especially a puppet as um, advanced as Yoda is. I mean, you think about Kermit the Frog and you compare Kermit to Yoda and you think about how Kermit is essentially a felt puppet with a mouth and it doesn't, he doesn't really have like, you know, expression filled eyes or anything like that. But Yoda has to be fully, fully convincing as an alien species, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's hard to gloss over that because the impact really is so there. Yeah, I think when you start talking about the complexities of actually putting that puppet on set and getting him to do what you needed him to do, especially knowing that there wasn't something like the computer effects to go in and kind of fix mistakes or use him as um, like we see people today using puppets as like placeholders, like this is where the character is going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. and you couldn't like that there was no safety net like that with Yoda. It was just the puppet. And then, you know, you taught, you were kind of comparing Kermit and Yoda, which I think is a really good comparison because it goes back into like having to believe that Yoda is actually there. Whereas, you know, with the Muppets and like Kermit and Piggy, the, and Piggy, I almost said it's Piggy comedy. Yeah, it's comedy and there's no um, barrier. Like the, they're not telling you, no, they're not puppets. It's very obvious that they're puppets. You know, like mm-hmm. you see the wires with their hands. It's like and, part of the joke. Yeah, yeah. There is yeah. no suspension of disbelief really there. Um, mm-hmm. You're kind of just enjoying the story as it's presented to you, knowing that it's not real. Um Whereas with Yoda, you have to believe him. And like you said, like doing things like the ears and the arms and the lips and the eyes, all of that is manual and all of that has to be choreographed basically before beforehand. And I think it's just like the minutia that went into that. I mean, you really – like the way you hear Mark Hamill talk about that when he's just like you're in the swamp for days. <laughs> and he really was. And, and I just – I can't imagine how much of that was just – like figuring out how to make sure that Yoda was well taken care of (laughs) and Mm -hmm. was presenting well on screen because that's something that is controlled obviously by people like Wendy and Frank Oz. um, But it's also, I don't know, it's harder because there are more people involved in the one character. And I think I was going to bring this up in the next part, but um, I was watching this documentary talking about uh, the creation of like digital Yoda and it's called from pixels or um, from puppets to pixels. And it was about Attack of the clones, but it had this really great interview with Christopher Lee as he was talking about the duel with Yoda and how obviously that was all digital and Christopher Lee was digital too. Um, But he, in his amazing Christopher Lee voice, he was talking about how hard it was as an actor to, um, like make people believe the story you were trying to tell. And he was like, that's the hardest truth is to make people buy into what you're telling them or making them think that it's real. And that job is even harder when they know that that can't be real. Mm -hmm. When the situation that is being presented to them on screen or on stage is very obviously not real. And I think that applies so much to the Yoda puppet and how stressful that must have been trying to make that be real when the audience, when everyone knows that it's not. And it's very different from what we, like, Chewbacca obviously was a great success, but he, you know, there's that, 
um, separation there because he didn't speak in English or in basic, you know, whereas Yoda is the first like alien that we're really hearing from in English. Like there's just that connection there that I think was so different. And and as we've kind of been saying over and over, if it didn't work, it really wouldn't have worked. Um, <laughs> and, really <laughs> and like you said, it, it would have completely devalued everything that Luke did on Dagobah um, if this puppet hadn't been as successful as it was. Um, and, just the way that it was articulated so realistically um, took away from that, that like you, you're never taken out of it with Yoda. You know, we talk about CGI effects that take you out that, that aren't believable, that don't stand up as well anymore and how it reminds you that you're in a film um, or that what's happening on screen is impossible. You never really get that with Yoda and he's just, he is so realized and so, magical mm-hmm. but that that magical is so grounded because like we've discussed like the setting of Dagobah was so like mystical but also recognizable and that's something that Star Wars just did in- so incredibly well in pretty much every avenue mm-hmm. <laughs> of giving you this realistic lived in world but with this magical mysticism force that just kind of took your imagination away like, I mean, it's like that um, that ad, you know, somewhere near in a galaxy near you, this could all be happening right now. And it is. It's it's so – you're so right. And I think that we also have to give, like, major kudos to Mark Hamill, who, like you mentioned, had, mm-hmm. like, a voice in his ear, basically, talking about the puppet the entire time. And he had to, you know, act convincingly. And I know that, like, part of that is kind of organic because Luke is, in the beginning, quite – Disgusted probably isn't the right word, but confused by Yoda and perhaps that irritated and maybe he also was irritated with Yoda. (laughs) And I think that that worked because uh, in a way, I think that all that kind of stuff is like organic in this strange way. And I think that all these pieces really had to be present. And I just want to mention that whenever I think about movies and being totally taken away by a story and then I think about how the movie in a meta sense was taken, you know, was filmed by a camera. And then I think about like if I put my place right behind that camera and I'd see the like 35 people who are all standing around in this like one really intimate scene. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to me because I think that with the Yoda scenes as well, like it took potentially three people to operate Yoda or it, you know, I think about the Jabba the Hutt puppet and like how many people had to operate Jabba and it doesn't remove the magic for me but it really does add a layer of wow filmmaking is so incredible that I can be so immersed in that story and not really be imagining that even though I just said that I imagined it it's like it it feels so immersive Mm -hmm. I think for for people like us who are really invested in behind the scenes features especially with um, Star Wars it comes from this place of like, how did they do that? Yeah, exactly. It's fascination. It's not, yeah. oh, my God, this is totally taking me out because this is a movie and it's not real. It's, yeah. oh, my God, how did they remove all of that? How did they puppet Yoda while simultaneously looking like we're grounded on the floor in a hut? Like, even in, we'll get to this in a second, The Last Jedi, you know, Yoda is presented almost on a mound of grass and Frank Oz is underneath, like, puppeting him. And it's, like, it's so crazy to me. Like, they needed that background there. <laughs> and, like, the physicality of it all. Like, especially when 
Yoda is in this tiny, tiny, tiny hut. And the point is that it's so small and like Luke can barely fit. It's like this Alice in Wonderland situation. Mm. And, and like, then they're also puppeting, (laughs) you know, it's so crazy. I think we should have double checked this and I apologize that we didn't. Um, So I could be so incredibly wrong about this, but I think this wasn't the stage built up. And yeah, then, it was. It yeah, totally was. And then, like he just like just like you mentioned, like with the last Jedi, like he's underneath it too. But it's not like spacious, mm-hmm. <laughs> not like walking and standing room. No, <laughs> definitely like crouched. Um, but also puppeteering and but not being able to see or, or like react to what Mark as Luke is kind of giving off. And it's just. It, it literally is masterful, <laughs> and um, it's it's pretty incredible what they were able to accomplish. And and I think I remember that anecdote of Mark um, talking about you know like the the radio piece in his ear, and he's like, sometimes the frequency was wrong, so you'd catch like the radio down the road or something like that. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so and I'm pretty sure he would always make jokes about it too, um, in the middle of scenes and stuff like that. Like responding to the radio DJs instead of Frank Oz, which is totally a Mark thing to do. <laughs> totally. So it's interesting when we talk about the Phantom Menace puppet Yoda, which if you are a new fan, you might not even know existed <laughs> because in the Blu-rays and like the digital versions, Yoda is now digital in the Phantom Menace, which I actually think is a brilliant choice given the fact that it provides consistency throughout the prequels. But the puppet in Yoda looks different from the puppet in empire and that's for a lot of reasons i think that they i think they might have used the original mold but i I, something is way off about that puppet and (laughs) i think that i read in the the last jedi art of book um that they used a in the sequel trilogy so in the last jedi they used a cable controlled yoda um, and I think that they experimented in The Phantom Menace with a remote control Yoda. So like some of the mm. features were, which is like something that I think would work just fine, in my opinion, if I was in charge of, you know, ordering the Yoda puppet for The Phantom Menace and someone was like, oh, we can try this remote control thing. We won't have to have all these wires. I would be like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, let's move the, the innovation forward. But I don't think that it really matched the Yoda that we were familiar with in Empire and Return of the Jedi. I think there's that weird thing where they were trying to figure out how Yoda looks different. Agreed. Like, how can Yoda be younger when it's really not that long? We're talking like 40 years of a different, different, differentiating and Yoda is like centuries old. (laughs) He also hasn't had the, the stress of the Skywalkers yet. True. True. (laughs) That added a lot of wrinkles i'm sure but absolutely i think the remote what you were talking about i can so see george being like yeah let's definitely try the remote control yoda like that's amazing how can we get that like can you remote control his ears and stuff like that especially when you think about um jar jar banks on the other side of that who they were shooting both ways Mm -hmm. (laughs) shooting in the costume and then also in motion capture because neither one was where george wanted it quite yet and that they would also kind of do that with Yoda too. Cause I can kind of see the argument like, well, like why wasn't Yoda just kind of digitally created then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of like, Oh, we can have the actual Yoda, but then he's also kind of digital. Yeah. I think that that's exactly what I inv- imagine too. But I think if we talk about practical Yoda, 
probably and perhaps it's just because of our proximity to it the what people now consider like i think that when the last jedi yoda puppet was created i think that everyone was like wow we've come so far and like this is ideal yoda it was <laughs> the 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 mold was taken from the original yoda mold and i think that by, like I mentioned, they were able to do a cable-controlled Yoda, which is a more advanced version of what they did in Empire and in Return of the Jedi. And I think, personally, it was like a really convincing um, portrayal. And I also found that there was like a really good digital mix, too, of the fact that mm-hmm. he was like blue. and But it didn't look like... I don't know. It didn't look so gimmicky in terms of like a ghostly blue. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think you're right. The the Yoda in Last Jedi really is the best Yoda I think we've seen. Um, I know that's my favorite Yoda, both from like a character standpoint and um, just like how he looks. Because you're right, the, the Yoda in The Phantom Menace, the original puppet remote Yoda, looked gimmicky. Mm-hmm. It was almost like off-brand. <laughs> it was just something a little not quite right. It was like right, but also not fully. Yeah, it's like – I guess that's Yoda, but I don't really want him. <laughs> it feels mean even saying that, but it really clearly does. Lucasfilm agreed. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's funny when we talk about special effects into the original trilogy and we forget that George is doing just those kinds of same, like arguably even so much bigger with The Phantom Menace of just completely replacing it with digital Yoda. <laughs> it <was> exactly. Like, <laughs> everyone's like complains about the do-back scene and <laughs> A New Hope and it's like, well, he completely redid an entire character for an entire movie. <laughs> and, well, that was for the Blu-ray. Yeah. So it's not the full special edition. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. And I think that, I just, to me, when the Blu-ray came out, it was like, I don't, Maybe I just wasn't that involved in fandom, but I feel like the consensus was like, okay, cool, good. I'm glad they did that. Like that that tracks with Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Like, good idea. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> it's kind of crazy when you think about, you know, someone who came into fandom like me going from the Phantom Menace Yoda, which does look off, and that, but that's your first introduction to him, you know, when I – watched The Phantom Menace for the first time. Mm-hmm. I just think it's kind of interesting how we describe him as not quite right, but that was like the first Yoda that I was introduced to, but I still don't, like that's not my Yoda. You know what I mean? Um, even <laughs> though, like, not my Yoda. <laughs> not my Yoda. Even though it very well could have been because that would have been the first time I really saw him. And to be honest, I don't remember what my knowledge of Yoda was. Like I'm sure I could have recognized him before I saw Star Wars, but I don't actually remember um but that would have been my first time getting to know him what he looked like what he sounded like and then to see him just go like completely do a 180 into digital digital and then back into puppet and then like crazy puppet and (laughs) and empire strikes back like (laughs) there is a lot going on um but i think i i do think it's it's cool how you said everyone was basically like yeah that was good call (laughs) it's it's interesting because I was thinking about, and we we might have talked about this, to be honest, in our uh, The Last Jedi discussions, like all seven of them, about how um, I think it would have been jarring to see CGI, like fully CGI Yoda. And I think they made the right choice in The Last Jedi to have a puppet version based off of, like, story-wise, the last time we saw Yoda was Return of the Jedi. So it just makes sense in my opinion, for Yoda to be a puppet there, despite the technological advances. 
I just wonder what George would have thought about that or what he even thought about that in general. It, clearly, I think Frank Oz was really happy with the performance and everything. But mm-hmm. I, I wonder what George would have thought. And I don't think we have an answer. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even in my head, in my director head canon, I can't even really kind of speculate what mm-hmm. George would think. Because um, I, I know that he would like appreciate the lengths that Ryan went through for things like the force cave sequence, which that whole setup of cameras was very innovative um, and new. And he would have like really appreciated that aspect of it. I'm sure he also got a great kick out of Ryan, like helicoptering and the phallus siren um, <laughs> and like the forks and things like that. But the I think, Yoda- I think in general, George really liked The Last Jedi. Oh, I yeah. Think I think the consensus. Yeah, that's my headcanon, and that's the consensus I gather from it, <laughs> mm-hmm. from what we've seen anyway in actual reported news, not just my imagination. <laughs> but I think it would be really interesting to have George now kind of removed from the physical creation of these characters to talk about like what worked well about the puppet, what didn't work well, you know, what drew him to the robotics and the phantom, like really drew him to the robotics and the phantom menace to then eventually be like, uh, actually we might need to redo this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then kind of seeing his final, maybe not his final, but the last iteration that we see in the last Jedi, because I do think it's the best he's ever looked at knowing that he is both practical effects and special effects. I don't know. It just kind of warms my millennial Star Wars heart. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, but kind of the the last big thing about Yoda that we, of course, have to touch on and part of what makes him so believable, especially on Dagobah, is Yoda's theme. Uh, which was one of the two biggest new – the two biggest – that was one of two new themes in the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack by John Williams. The other, of course, being the Imperial March. Um, And I couldn't find the original liner notes from the soundtrack, but I did find some from the 1990, I believe it was the 1997 re-release of the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack. And it's not from John Williams himself, but I really loved how they talked about Yoda's theme and Whenever they talked about it, they contrasted it to the Imperial March, and they described Yoda's theme as the antithesis to the Imperial March, which, of course, in Sky Talker's language, we say, the balance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they described it as the benevolent Yoda's theme, a piece which embodies the Jedi Master's wisdom and gentility. gentility. Um And I just – I think that you can't talk about a new character or the feeling of Star Wars or of a set like Dagobah the character of Yoda without talking about the role that the music played in it, which is true for any piece of Star Wars, honestly. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Yoda's theme in particular, I mean, even before we started, you were playing some of it, Charlotte, and you were like, this really is one of my all-time favorite pieces because it just it, – it, again, it mixes all of those different levels of the magical quality that comes along with Yoda, but putting him in this very dirty swamp set that we can all recognize and the way like it's not jarring to have those two things next to each other it works it works so well and to kind of put a different spin on how a character uses the force and how that's represented musically as opposed to the force theme itself with Luke having Yoda as a character a Jedi master using the force and how that sounds I don't know I just think that 
well, of course, John Williams did a fantastic job with it. But again, it's just all of these pieces kind of being layered of magic, real, magic, real. And it just creates this sense of wonder that you do feel like you can reach into the screen and actually touch. Yeah, I think one of my favorite scenes ever, and I think that people would agree with this, like this is generally one of the best scenes ever in Star Wars when Yoda lifts out the X-Wing. And it's so magical. It's so moving. And it's like, it's hard to describe even why it's moving. But I think the number one reason really is the music. And the music is just, I don't know, it really makes Yoda something larger than life for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just to kind of harken back and take a step back is the last part that we we discussed, like the fairy tale motifs that Yoda is kind of entrenched in when the development of his character. And I think that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, which I've definitely mentioned on the podcast before because I think it's fascinating, the fact that when Luke enters the cave, the musical piece is called The Magic Tree. I think the magic tree is so interesting and because Yoda's theme is is involved in that as well. But this like fairy tale vibe that we get from every single occurrence, it's on Dagobah, is even present in John Williams' own music. And I think it is present in the title of that track and also just like the general music that is presented in Yoda's theme, which I like Caitlin mentioned, I think it is my number one favorite John Williams theme. Right up, like, I think, I really do think it is. It's so good. I'm like, wow, poor Ray's theme, number two. <laughs> Ray's theme isn't my number two for me. I think Across the Stars Ooh, will yeah. be my number two. I don't know if I could rank John Williams. I don't know if I have a fa- I mean, Binary Sunset. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Ranking is tough, but so I do hard. think that – Yoda's theme makes me the most emotional. Yeah, Yoda's theme. I think a lot of I've seen people compare it to that magical quality of it to the Harry Potter score, which of yeah. course John Williams was involved in too. Which I think is a good comparison because they're they're tracking like similar feelings and tones. And again, when you think about how George was describing Yoda to John Williams mm-hmm. as he's writing the music, you can kind of think of these terms that he's using which are probably similar to terms John was thinking was being told with Harry Potter like when he read Harry Potter how you know like magical small childlike wonder the force um and like disbelief and and awe-inspiring but you know cute too in a way I think I think it's hard we have kind of failed in the past hour of us discussing with not talking about how perhaps the development of Steven Spielberg's character of E.T. and Yoda are pretty linked. Mm. I think that there's a lot of conversation, most recently in James Cameron's documentary about sci-fi. I think there's an episode on aliens. that I've been to an entire thing on the plane to California, and oh my god, it is so good. I can't recommend it enough. Um, There's a whole part on aliens, and they discuss and about how when developing E.T., a lot was taken to make E.T. look cute and lovable. And instead of E.T. looking like the alien from Alien, you know, scary, mm-hmm. like aggressive, kind of phallic, like that's what ali- the alien from Alien looks like. But the alien from E.T., E.T., 
is lovable, childlike. And I think that Steven was really inspired by Yoda as well. So much so that Yoda even appears as like a costumed child in E.T. And mm-hmm. what comes up often when people talk about the development of E.T. is how they studied like what makes someone cute? What makes a creature cute? Is it the big eyes? E.T. has big eyes. I think Yoda also has big eyes. I don't think Yoda is cute. I think Yoda can be cute because he's small and green and um, like the, a, a, he can be a cute alien. But I think that a lot went into his development in order to make him look likable and wise. And so much of that visual is studied you know, if if you are making an alien be scary, they're not going to have these wide set eyes or anything like that. I think Yoda comes off as a character who is wise because he has, you know, you can see the color of his eyes and like, you know, his his wrinkles and his hair and all these things. He's almost he's closer to a human than he is an alien. Do you know what I mean by that? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I think that's a good comparison because I can't – what year did E.T. come out? I think 82. So this was 80. So okay. uh, Stephen obviously and George were just like forever in conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it, almost E.T. is like perhaps the cuter version of Yoda in this weird way. Like I do think they're derivative. It's, um, it's funny because I'm a person who I don't really think E.T. is super cute. I don't think E.T. is super cute either, but I do think that like that's the yeah, vibe that, that E.T. is supposed to give off. Oh, yeah. I think E.T. E- e- has a cute personality. Uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of people do find him cute. I think when I think when he's in the basket, he's super cute. Super cute. <laughs> Just like when Yoda's in the backpack, he's a lot cuter. Super cute. Yeah. <laughs> the, the same. <laughs> but I think to, to tie it back to your discussion of John Williams, I think that the magical quality in E.T.'s theme is similar to the magical quality that we get in Yoda's theme. Um I don't know. Yeah. I think it's, I, yeah. it's 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 strange to compare these things, but I think that I don't think we could have a Yoda episode without doing that just because these are so both Yoda and ET are so I don't know, um products of the 80s and like so mm-hmm. hallmarks of the 80s really. Oh yeah. And then when you kind of even compare it to and I'm not as well versed in it as you are, but like the Jurassic Park themes that are very um, like awe-inspiring and like, whoa, Mm -hmm. Um, that feeling of terrifying awe with that comes Mm -hmm. with the dinosaurs, I think. I think there's elements of that in Yoda as well because of what he's doing, like lifting the X-wing and just that power of the force. You know, I think it's funny when we we talk about those that usage of the force because up until that point, we had no idea everything that the force could do. So like Yoda doing the things that he did was so – crazy and new just like the things that the force was doing in the last jedi were so crazy and new mm. um, i think it's fun like was that was that did that come up in the discourse of 1980 <laughs> uh, <laughs> who knows <laughs> it's funny because it's almost the discourse that you're mentioning like i can't believe yoda would be able to pull that out of a swamp like that's <laughs> baked into the narrative of empire strikes back like yeah Luke can't believe it either and like yoda yeah. then says like that's why you fail and i think it's it's really funny because <laughs> wow, I, I don't know right. i feel like a, a similar <laughs> a similar narrative is woven in the sequel trilogy that's similarly meta um about failure and all, all these things and 
just looking past books and looking <laughs> Jesus it's kind of crazy <laughs> right it's so meta when you think about it you know I think, I think the last Jedi is incredibly meta for a fandom as like a I don't know I would love you know Ryan Johnson if you ever want to come and talk about fandom <laughs> God please Carla <laughs> <laughs> just sounded so desperate there please. Um, <laughs> oh she sounded even more desperate there um I would love to know what kind of commentary, if any, Ryan intentionally put in on the fandom world in The Last Jedi. Because we'll I never can, get it. I we'll never get it. Unless he comes on Sky Talkers and he just has such a good time with us and we talk all about our favorite fan videos, which again, I totally think Ryan Johnson would be so into fan videos. <laughs> I think he's like, our, yeah. Well, this isn't a Ryan Johnson episode, but. I think he totally is. The, our episodes usually devolve into a Ryan Johnson, Kylo Ren episode. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that. Um, but yeah, I, I would just – I would love to have a discussion. But you're – wow, you like really blew my mind though when you're like that that whole conceit is baked into Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I can definitely see Ryan being like, oh, we did – they did that in Empire Strikes Back. I'm going to do this crazy thing here in, in The Last Jedi. And then everyone was like, the Force can't do that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can. He's like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what framework are you working from? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just – it's really interesting. It is. It is really interesting. But, yeah, I mean, Charlotte and I one day would love to do a John Williams episode, which I think would be so great. It's funny because I remember when you and I were in Universal Studios the day, if you listened to one of our celebration episodes, when Universal beat us horribly and I got like the worst headache of my life. But as we were walking around, we inevitably started talking about John Williams and we're like, why are we talking about John Williams? And then we're like, oh, because he's literally everywhere. And it's <laughs> it's not like a Disney versus the Universal. It's just like John Williams. Like it's John Williams. Like John Williams owns Orlando. <laughs> John Williams owns the movies. He does. He does. Um, powerful intellectual properties. <laughs> yeah. But then he also owns the theme parks because that's his yeah. music in literally a dozen lands across mm-hmm. two ginormous theme parks. I think it's because theme parks are supposed to evoke a sense of magic and that's exactly what his themes do as well. Mm-hmm. And the films that he's worked on have been the most magical Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I am always, just as like a side note, you guys, I'm always a little nervous. Caitlin, I've talked about doing a John Williams episode forever, but I'm just not, I don't know, I'm not that confident that I'd be able to talk about John Williams in an intellectual way, like unlike so many other people have. Yes. So Many have. It'll happen, Maybe but there'll be will. a lot of caveats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that being said, there is a really awesome John Williams fan site. That I came across. Yeah. Can you describe this? Because I feel like I was not aware of this until recently. No idea about this fan site. This fan site, let me, what's the, hold on, let me go up in our show notes. It's just, um, uh, I don't think that was it. I'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes. But it's like, it's like jwfansite.com. It's it's like a very basic name. I almost didn't click on it when it came up. (laughs) But (laughs) I went on this website and it definitely – this sounds horrible, but it definitely looks like an older website, like an older person designed it. You know what I mean? Like it's not flashy. It's not It's not a Tumblr page. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very like small text. Like nothing – there's nothing frilly about it. It's just like it is what it is. But oh my word. It has 
it has um, like music cue sheets for all of the film, all of John Williams' films. Well, most of them, like not just Star Wars. It has this incredible Last Jedi review of the music of The Last Jedi that we're definitely going to get into when we do our John Williams episode because I've this guy, the way he talked about the music was incredible. Uh, I was sending Charlotte all of these <laughs> texts about it. But this this fan site is like so up to date, like thing like I would when I encountered it, I was like, "Oh, this has probably been defunct for a while." No. No, it's been super it's been more active than Sky Talkers in 2019. <laughs> 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 it has interviews, it has podcast links. Anytime that John Williams is doing like a concert, it has reviews of all of his album. It's just like I was like, where has this been? <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like my new hot page that I visit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to go and bookmark it because um, I accidentally X'd out of it and I thought I put it in our show notes when I didn't and I'm a little upset about it. Uh, <laughs> so I got to go back and find it. But yeah, I mean, you can't you can't not talk about the development and, and the success of Yoda just like you can't talk about the success of Star Wars without talking about John Williams and what he put forward. And he does discuss um, in some interview I found where he was talk he was talking about the Last Jedi, but and like his work in the sequel trilogy. But I think it's also quite pertinent to Empire Strikes Back of taking themes that you knew and like. Empire Strikes Back was the first time that John Williams was working on the sequel and building this uh, library of sounds and leap motifs, light motifs, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in music for all of these characters. And then to t- take all of those things, translate them into this new section of the story and introduce new themes for brand new characters and make it all flow together as well as it does and compound all of that music into these two films and then into these three films and then into these nine films. Um, <laughs> I'm like spiraling here. <laughs> <Mood>. <laughs> uh, it just, it, it's incredible. And again, if one of those pieces had failed, if the puppet hadn't worked as well, if the voice hadn't worked as well, the design, the music, the set, it would have all you, we all would have wouldn't have believed what was happening. We wouldn't have bought the seriousness or the intensity of Luke's adventure on Dagobah, of what he learned there, of what he had to confront there, and it, it all worked really well because you had the best of the best working on Yoda. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Should we talk all about digital Yoda next? Everyone's favorite Yoda. Let's go for it. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Okay, so welcome to part three, where we're going to be discussing Digital Yoda. And so that covers the prequel trilogy, the Clone Wars, even bits of the sequel trilogy in this weird way. So where should we begin, Keelan? I think we have to start with Attack of the Clones and... Mm -hmm. The creation of digital Yoda is fascinating, for one mm-hmm. thing. Um, again, the paradox of Star Wars and just how it is created of telling a story that comes before the first trilogy, but with new technology and how that gets translated, especially considering that The Phantom Menace, Yoda wasn't well-received. And I think everyone kind of recognized why it wasn't well-received either. Um, if you haven't watched the documentary Pixels, or puppets, God, puppets to pixels. Why does this always happen to me? <laughs> puppets to pixels. 
It's so good. It's it's a really in depth look, not just at Yoda, but also um, the com- the Camino, the Camonans, com- Caminoans. <sighs> Mama Sue, <laughs> Dexter Jetster, and and Yoda, and uh, it looks at all of them, and it is it's so fascinating. It's really good. I was sending Charlotte all these Snapchats because it was hilarious. <laughs> the one scene in particular, they had Dexter Jetster, and it was the scene where he goes and he hugs Obi-Wan, but they haven't digitally created the character yet. And so it's just the the actual voice actor of Dexter Jetster in a pair of Levi's and a windbreaker, like doing the voice in the middle of Dex's diner, walking up to Obi-Wan, but like in his <laughs> Jedi bro- and I died. <laughs> so funny. I, I thought it was so funny. The big thing I took away was just how – intensely they discussed exactly how Yoda should look, how he should move, the way that light interplays off of him, which are all things that I think we expect when we're talking about digital characters, especially when they're being put next to real life actors. But Yoda was so particular because because of the failure, or not the failure, but not quite a successful version of him in The Phantom Menace and the puppet version of him that was already so be- clearly so beloved by so many and watching people watching all of these creators they talked about it as performance capture of frank oz as the puppet in the original trilogy which is such a convoluted way of creating a digital (laughs) character i think um and you and you hear people talk about you know there is a big difference between performance capture and motion capture and there is motion capture is a character like jar jar binks you know, Andy Serkis is the king of motion capture. Andy Serkis is not the king of performance capture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> performance capture is, you know, when Robin Williams was recording the genie and they videotaped him recording the voice for the genie and then they interwove that into the actual animation for the genie. That's performance capture. And so you had all of these animators going back and watching for hours. I can't even imagine how much and how closely they watched the puppet of Yoda to performance capture the movement of the puppet for the digital version of the character, which it's so complicated. And I forget who said it. Uh, I should have written it down, but they were talking about how they couldn't animate him too smoothly. Like he had to kind of bounce a little bit like the puppet. Not like an old man, like a puppet. That's how they talked about it. And one of the animators said this really interesting thing. He said, people have this wonderful memory of what they think they saw with the puppet. And we have to find that middle line of bringing that back into the digital version while also pushing it forward. And he also said he was talking to like his lead animation team and he was like, you know, the junior animators, they're going to want to make Yoda's movements too smooth and you got to watch them on that. Like it can't be too smooth, and almost like it. I can't stop thinking about smooth, smooth Yoda. That meme. (laughs) Now, every time you say smooth, I'm like, we're talking about Yoda, smooth Yoda, smooth Yoda. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) but that's how they how they described him. Like they went, like they it has scenes of George George watching, um, you know, different draft versions basically, and he'll be like, no, 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 like he's he's he doesn't move like a puppet in that scene. And I just think it's so interesting how they were performance capturing not Frank Oz, but the performance of Frank Oz 20 years prior 
as a puppet into a digital form and how complicated that must have been. And also the pressure of that too, kind of knowing the response that the, I guess the, for lack of a better term, like the robotic Yoda had gotten in The Force Awakens. And they also discussed how digital Yoda had always been in the works and how immediately after The Phantom Menace stopped is when they started, like when it came out is when they started working on digital Yoda. Like that was where they immediately picked up on and they're like, we've got to get this right, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and personally, I, I think Digital Yoda in the in the second trilogy holds up really well, in my opinion. I do too. And it's funny because I don't think you have this memory, but I remember how Attack the Clones was one of the few films that was pre- presented in before there was IMAX, like in our hometown movie theater and like the real IMAX with like the huge theaters. And Attack of the Clones was there and they had this epic poster that with Yoda with a lightsaber. I mean, something that I think that we forget is not only did they have to animate Yoda, but they had to animate Yoda fighting because that was going to be a huge part of Attack of the Clones. It was like, that's what what is really going to get people through the door is like, you're going to get to see Yoda take on a Sith Lord, you know? And how is his lightsaber going to look? And I think that... If I'm correct about this, he went through a couple of iterations with the fighting style Yoda with like all the flipping and everything. I think that that like went through a lot of takes and like different versions of that, which I think is really interesting. And it was such a big deal. I remember that Yoda was going to be digital in Attack of the Clones and you had to see it for yourself. And when you talk about how smooth Yoda's performances could have Yoda's performance could have been in digital, I think that they did such a great job because I really do feel like every piece of Yoda moves when Yoda moves. You know, I think that like his ears move. I think that he does have it that weird bounce that you referred to um, about him even in digital. I think it only gets better, in my opinion. I think Revenge of the Sith Yoda is the best, which makes perfect sense because they've had now this is their second chance at that. And I think he also does have to be truly the best in Revenge of the Sith since he is really put to the forefront of a major character, especially in the third act of the movie. Mm-hmm. What is just an interesting kind of innovation of that duel that we see in Attack of the Clones too is not only as I mentioned, Christopher Lee, that quote I mentioned in the last part is taken from this particular scene where he's being interviewed about it. But Christopher Lee was was a great swordsman, did like so many sword fights on film. They talked about how he did probably the most of any actor in the world, <laughs> but he still had a stunt double just because due to his age and because it would have been difficult for him as well, working, learning how to work with the non-existent Yoda in that scene but how they digitally transplanted christopher lee's face onto his stunt double's face and you know we we talk about what they did in rogue one and the successes and you know not so successful aspects you know wherever you fall on that opinion of of that in rogue one which is basically the same thing that they were doing in attack of the clones but for me i don't see like, I didn't know that about Attack of the Clones mm-hmm. <laughs> for the longest time. <laughs> yeah. And I just – I think it's – I just think it's really interesting, one, how – because George in that documentary, George talks about it both ways. It's like 
it has to like even the texture of Yoda's skin as they're animating that, like they're using real skin to do like, that. So you mean like swatches from the puppet? No. So they used um they like took photo I guess they like cataloged people in the office and <laughs> Literally, like, there's a scene where the animator, um, one of the lead animators, you know, speaking of women involved in Star Wars, one of the lead animators of Yoda, actually the lead animator, was a woman named Linda Bell. And she actually developed this whole – I was reading about this on this super technical website that was all about the actual physical computer program and how it was coded. <laughs> to, <laughs> And I was like, wow, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's called Linux, Linux. It's L-I-N-U-X software. Mm -hmm. That's literally all I can tell you about that. Um, but she, Linda, was part of the team that developed, and I think she did most of the work on this, of developing like a whole um, REM sleep pattern for Yoda's eyes to move behind his eyelids. And that's just like crazy to me. <laughs> um, I just think that's so cool. But she was the lean animator, and there's this scene, and the, the person behind the camera is like, oh, whose skin are you using? I remember I kind of perked up and I was like, okay, wait, what am I looking at here? And <laughs> she was like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's Ralph down the hall or whoever it was. Can you imagine if your skin was Yoda's skin? Yeah. And so they and they showed it and it's like this, this really close up image of his skin texture, basically. And she was taking that and putting it onto the character model of Yoda. And, and George then talks about later how it has to, it has to look, it has to have that rubber texture to it, but it can't look like rubber but it has to have that rubber texture because the puppet was rubber and mm -hmm. people want to people want to be able to make that visual connection back to the puppet version of Yoda that they saw in the first trilogy. I think for all jokes that George gets for not being too concerned about continuity, I think that that attention to detail is really great. And to me in this weird way, CGI Yoda being now entirely in the prequels, and then you have the puppet Yoda being later. It's one Yoda for me, um, but it's it's really interesting. I don't know. I, I'm just I'm really I'm I'm pleased to hear that that like there's so much attention to making sure that not only was Yoda brought to life, but he was also brought to brought to life and is like respected res like respectfully towards the work that was done for the puppet you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah and again just talking about that idea of how you're never gonna please everyone and just how difficult that must have been to kind of draw that line of you know like with the junior animators making things too too smooth like <laughs> smooth yoda you've got to watch out for that you know you've got to catch them on that if they're making it too technologically advanced basically if they're using the computer technology to the best of its abilities like you have to step it back and and, and make it almost a little bit more analog because that's how the puppet moved. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, you know, just like we were discussing in the last part, you go back to Empire Strikes Back and, yeah, it's a puppet, but it's also not a puppet. It's so much more than that too and it doesn't read as a puppet, but there was that difference when mm -hmm. you get into the digital version of him. Mm -hmm. Those things to have to consider, uh, especially as we're showing this whole other side of Yoda and what he can do and how would a puppet move in a fight against Count Dooku, who's, you know, three times his size <laughs> and things that they didn't necessarily have to consider back then. Part uh, of me wonders if that fight with Count Dooku, even though I know it served a story purpose, was like a consolation prize as like, 
we're doing digital Yoda and this is why you need to get on board with digital Yoda because we can do things like this and show how he was a great Jedi master through swordsmanship. And previously we weren't able to do that. And when I say consolation prize, I think that sounds like we're only getting, you know, butts and seats. Yeah. Yeah. To watch this fight. But I do think that a lot of, well, we have to develop digital Yoda and like, but why? And I think the big why is to show the fight. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that can be totally glossed over because in order to want to develop digital Yoda, I think that there needs to be the expectation that it is worth it, worth it to change, you know, such years, especially at this point of yoda being part of the pop culture subconscious about like he was a puppet you know and how could be he be anything different and Mm -hmm. i think that they satisfied that in my opinion i don't don't think i've really seen any sort of discourse about puppet yoda versus digital yoda i think to a modern audience digital yoda is more appealing um and more i don't know appealing might not be the word I think that digital Yoda, if you have people, if you have, you know, fans who don't love the the second trilogy, I think digital Yoda is kind of the least of their problems. <laughs> yeah. You know, like if they had a laundry list of things they don't like about the second trilogy, I feel like digital Yoda could be on there that it's probably not on the bottom. It. though. Yeah, but it's probably on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. If I had to speculate. Yeah. I just I think about all the there's this one shot in Revenge of the Sith that is just so good of digital Yoda. And every time it happens, I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, two. I'm going to mention two. One is when Anakin is confessing to Yoda. He's in, like, Yoda's, like, quarters. The blinds mm. are drawn. It's, like, that perfect, like, lighting. Yeah, lighting. And you kind of Amazing. see the light go through Yoda's, like, tip of his ear. And it is so well done that I swear it's real. It's just insane to me. Mm-hmm. The second is this character moment of Yoda, digital Yoda, that I think is just so brilliant is when After Order 66 happens or is happening and they we get a shot of Yoda on Kashyyyk and he is kind of like pained and kind of holds his heart. Um, mm, yeah. I think that's what I've seen. Oh, but the one that I was thinking about is like when he and he does it a couple times in Revenge of the Sith, but he like rubs his head and it's like all the hairs on his head get like smoothed out. And I think about how many hair follicles they had to <laughs> basically animate and, you know, computer digitally create um, for that sort of emotion to happen. I don't think that that would have ever been possible with Puppet Yoda. Seeing Puppet Yoda rub the top of his head was something that we'll, we would have never gotten, I don't mm-hmm. think, at least. I always think one of my favorite shots of Yoda is where he is um, – and of course, I can't remember right now. If, you know, it was against Kanjuku uh, in that fight where he basically like throws the force back, and you uh-huh. see him kind of like reel against that that energy and that motion, and like you see like his his face like squinch up, and he just has this real um, like air about him. Like this is hard, but he's going to win. Uh-huh. Kind of feel uh, heroic. It's heroic, but it's also like. I'm here to get stuff done. <laughs> like Yoda's who you bring in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I yeah, like you were saying, I just think it's that could have never been realized with 
the puppet version of him. And, you know, again, kind of highlighting the women who were involved in this. We mentioned Jean Bolte earlier, but she was also who did the motion capture in Phantom Menace. She was also involved in the development of Digital Yoda. And there's this great scene of her talking to George about Yoda. And she's she's talking about that light in his ears that you mentioned in Revenge of the Sith. And she's like, okay, so like what color is his blood? Because that's going to affect (laughs) – her mind works like that she mentioned that kind of in in that phantom menace panel too it's so funny like what color is his blood because that's gonna impact like what color is coming through that very transparent piece of his ear and how that's interacting with the light and george is like i mean it's probably red So uncreative. It could be anything. <laughs> so funny. Were you like those are things that I don't know if George thought about. And he like, had it. He was like plaid uh. <laughs> couch or something, like in the depths of Lucasfilm, like God knows where. And Jean Bolte's like, so the color of his blood. <laughs> George is like, oh mm, I love that so much. It's so great. He's probably like whatever color his plaid shirt was that day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's sinking into the plaid couch. He's becoming one with the plaid couch. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> I do love how George, whenever he kind of um, throughout this documentary, when he would be talking about Yoda, he'd just be like, just like an incredible little frog. <laughs> just an incredible little frog. An incredible little frog. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. He said it so many times to the point where I almost wanted to name the series Incredible Little Frog Yoda. Uh, I'm having regrets. <laughs> it's okay. That's amazing. It can live on here in, in yeah. part three. Uh, but of course, this is not the only iteration of Yoda. We, of course, then see him into the Clone Wars, which is a completely different style. And uh, obviously, we have other people voicing him now. Tom Kane, who also voiced Admiral Yolaren, or Charlotte and I called him the voice of war uh, whenever he would do kind of the, the, the intro. The intro, when he would do his own prologue, basically, of the Clone Wars episodes. <laughs> wow, we really like animation on this show. <laughs> we have our own prologue. Uh, but this, what I think is, is, in this great twist of irony is that the style of Clone Wars, what like the artistic style of Clone Wars was really based on this 1950s show called Thunderbirds. And Thunderbirds, uh, it was produced between 1964 and 1966. Um, and it used a form of electronic marionette puppetry combined with scale model special effect sequences. Mm-hmm. And it was called Super Marionation. So basically a digital puppet style. And Yoda, who started off as a puppet, then became an animated digital puppet. <laughs> I just like <laughs> That's I mean funny. Talk about ring theory, am I right? <laughs> I know, right? But when you look if you you guys should definitely go and look up this show because I, I had heard about this influence before, but I, I don't think I'd ever actually looked at what the show looked like. And I did. And man, the correlation there is uncanny. And I it kind of hearing that term super marination, marination, <laughs> marinate. I don't know. I read that as super Mario Nation. <laughs> <laughs> So the electronic marionette puppetry, um, <laughs> I think, and and there's, there's this great clip of, of George talking about it, and he was like, yeah, you know, 
kind of talking about how the puppet for Yoda had to have this realistic quality to it in the original trilogy. But then when you get into something like animation where it's so highly stylized, you can play more around with that. And again, the suspension of disbelief is a little bit different with an animated show. And even how the characters move, especially in the early seasons of The Clone Wars, is so derivative from, you know, the the show Thunderbirds, like he says. It's really crazy. Like even the the planes of the face and how they're developed for the characters is very similar to what we saw in that show. Um, I don't know. I just, I loved that kind of, oh, like the animated Yoda was based on a practical electronic puppet TV show from the 50s and 60s, which of course so much of Star Wars goes back to that serialized influence too. Totally. I think that listeners, if you're Googling Thunderbirds, don't look at the like the reboot. I think it's specifically the 60s version. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that, it, that I just think it's really interesting because I think Digital Yoda's look is not cute. Like if we could talk about like the cuteness factor, I think that mm-hmm. he's so blocky that and I think that they had to do that on purpose because when you take a character who went from puppet to digital to like CGI television show, which is another form of digital, obviously. Um, but in a cartoon verse, Yoda can't be too cute. And I think that in order to make him still continue to look like this like stern Jedi master, they have to evoke this kind of style and I think that in the beginning, the at least when we first started watching Clone Wars, I think that style was a little jarring. It's very blocky in mm-hmm. this weird way. Yeah. And it's, again, you can compare even Clone Wars Yoda to Rebels Yoda. And Rebels Yoda is very round and like very, like in the way that Rebels style is kind of soft and very like Macquarie-esque, I think that the Yoda always looked kind of off to me. I think that his eyes are a little too far apart or he just didn't have enough hair on his head or something. He just looked so round. And maybe it was just because I was so used to seeing Clone Wars Yoda in this like blocky sense that I just was not ready for like digital cartoon version of Yoda in Rebels. I've grown to like him. And especially because in Rebels, he was voiced by... Frank Oz again, which I think was a really good get for Lucasfilm, even though I think Tom Kane does a great Yoda voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just think that you even compare putting them side by side, it looks like they're almost two different characters. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good point, and I hadn't thought about comparing Rebels Yoda because we don't see him as much, obviously. But you're right, Rebels Yoda is much rounder, and I always think of you know we're kind of talking about the cuteness scale of Yoda as he moves throughout these different versions. Uh, he definitely has more of like a watermelon shape. Yes, <laughs> in, in potato Clover. is what I was gonna say. Yeah, well, I mean, green watermelon. Come on. Oh, okay, makes sense. <laughs> But, you know, the the cuteness factor, Yoda does a lot more um, cute things, I think, in Clone Wars. For as dark as that show can be, he definitely has these moments of levity and kind of glimpses into the Yoda we'll see in Empire Strikes Back, which is obviously a very calculated choice. But you see him having fun more, like with Yoda, uh, with Anakin and other people that he's with. and um, and But then – 
yeah, you're right. The the style is so different. He does look the most different, I think, mm-hmm. in Rebels, like you said. But totally. I really I think Rebels Yoda is the cutest Yoda, like out of our spectrum of Yodas. Mm. <laughs> I, I mean, I probably agree with that, I think. I I like his roundness. <laughs> um and I think too the settings that we see him in are usually as mystical as it gets. Yes, uh, in the floating in the ether. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty darn mystical. Mystical, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that, of course, is always going to be our bias with Star Wars. And so that always has kind of drawn me in to that particular version of Yoda. Um, yeah, I hadn't really thought about the difference in their head shape, but you're right. It's there. And I, I do wonder why that change was made because he has always kind of had more of an oblong head. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I think that – I think Clone Wars Yoda definitely stretched it out to be a, a lot more watermelony <laughs> yeah. than it was in either the original or second trilogy. <laughs> For sure. I think that as Clone Wars – went on and we even got like in the lost mission episodes like at the very end of clone wars i think yoda became easier to look at as like all the characters did Mm -hmm. um even cute in a sense yeah there was that that switch though because clone wars too and, and so much of what george does is about developing technology along with his story and they work so much in tandem and people discuss this at length with clone wars about how like you got to get through the first two seasons <laughs> um, and then it gets better. <laughs> like, yeah. the, like the animation of it gets better. But then when you think about how it was based on this show that was literally electronic puppets and you look at their movements, it all, it's like, it's like George was like, this is where we're going to start because I know that we can do this influence really successfully. Mm-hmm. And then we can transition unlike digital Yoda in attack of the clones. So they didn't want to be too smooth they could smooth out that animation style of him. And he didn't have to be so restricted in his movements in the animated style. But he, again, he started out in this puppet version and then moved forward. I don't know. Again, full circle, guys. (laughs) Puppet origins forever. Yeah. Jeez. Do you have a favorite version of Yoda? I think Rebel's version is probably my favorite. Well, I say that. You mean like how he looks? Yeah. 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 Just based off of aesthetics. I think probably Rebels version now that you've brought it up. Rebels version and Last Jedi version. Yeah, I think I will say Last Jedi version. I think Last Jedi encapsulates so much of the joy of why we love Yoda with also mm-hmm. balancing the like the the puppet nature, the all-powerful force situation, the humor, <laughs> the laughter. I think it, it's all there and it was such a – like I said in the beginning of the episode, it really was like such a joy to see that character of Yoda again. And what he says is just like, ooh, chef's kiss. Perfect. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think – yeah, Last Jedi Yoda. I remember talking to Charlotte about it and I was like, I loved Last Jedi Yoda. And her being like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really – he like I said, he's my favorite version of Yoda that we've seen. Uh, as far as like the character goes, but then also yeah, for how he looks as well. I think it is fun how he looks in Rebels too. Just that yeah, that switch. Up. I agree. I agree. So I think before we wrap up, we want everyone to tell us what where what is your Yoda cuteness scale? <laughs> where is your cutest Yoda <laughs> on the spectrum of cute Yodas? <laughs> cute Yodas. Cute Yoda. <laughs> yes, please tweet at us. Yeah, at Sky Talkers Pod. Uh, well, is there anything else that we want to say about the 
development of Yoda throughout all these different mediums and, and versions? I mean, I don't think so. I wish I could talk more about Digital Yoda. I feel like it's such a feat that they were able to make that work. And I think you perfectly encapsulated it when you talked about like the marionette influence and everything like that in Clone Wars. And I don't know. I think that personally, as someone who isn't super extremely familiar with the way CGI works, it's hard for me to discuss like the technology behind developing Yoda, even though while now that I'm saying it, something that I do really love about the development of digital Yoda is in the making of Revenge of the Sith book that I referenced a lot recently. There's a chart in there that's like happy Yoda, sad Yoda, sleepy Yoda, you know, all these different like emotions of Yoda. And I love something I love about the digital thing, digital Yoda as well is how experimental the animators were able to, be and like there's even that easter egg on the revenge of the sith dvd i don't know if anyone remembers it because i think it just lives on youtube now but if you put in i think on the i forget which menu and the regular dvd it might have been like the captions menu if you go to the captions menu and like finger over to something and then you put in on your remote 1138 it would come up with yoda like rapping and dancing yeah. And I think about that a lot because I think that like that was just so experimental for these character animators because <laughs> here you have this character who would never do that. But like I'm sure that was a test to like figure out how does Yoda move and can we do this? And mm-hmm. I love that. You just see like after a long day at work where they're just trying to get him to take out the lightsaber fluidly and the way that they want to. And they're like, I was supposed to be working on this but instead i came up with this rap sequence (laughs) (laughs) so here you go and 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 the boss is like well what do you mean oh no play it again play it again (laughs) (laughs) it's it's like really funny do it again and it ends with it ends with yoda being like oh tired i am which is so great (laughs) it reminds me oh my god you know you said super mario net nation it reminds me of uh Super Mario 64, where if you just let Mario stand there for too long without doing anything, he gets tired. <laughs> and he goes, Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> he just kind of <laughs> bends over. And then eventually he just like sits down and then curls up and goes to sleep. <laughs> Same energy. Same. <laughs> or lack of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Yep. 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 <laughs> Okay, well, I think that is going to wrap up our first Yoda One episode, and uh, our next episode will be coming out soon. We're going to be covering the character of Yoda in the films, and then we're also going to be talking about the super special and specific force side of Yoda, especially as it pertains to the Clone Wars. if you want to find us online, we're on Twitter at SkytalkersPod. We also have our personal handle. Charlotte's is at Clarity, and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We have our website, skytalkers.com. And we also have a Patreon if you're interested in joining that where we have a Discord and bonus episodes. We're actually going to be doing a commentary on those Yoda episodes to go along with our Yoda series for our Patreon. So if you're interested in that, that's where you'll be able to find that in the next month or so (laughs) when it comes up we'll be sure to let you know and if you like what you hear you can also support us on itunes by leaving a rating and a review it really helps other people find our show and tell us what yoda they think is the cutest 
Yes. And I want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons, Jason, Lindsay, Gina, Shelbo, Joey, James, Kathy G, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Swara, Kimma, Jalia, Matthew, Jamin, Jedi, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Katie, Ira Bell, Kimberly, Ewan, Donnie Jeep, Fundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, James, Hamsas from a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Brad, Unspeakable, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.